This is House of China with Cliff Central and China Plus. Download the podcast on the Cliff Central website, app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, indeed. Our final episode, and today we're talking about opportunities in China for South Africans. And in this episode, we are going to chat to some South Africans who could tell us a little bit more about the opportunities that exist in、uh, China for South Africans.、And、we've talked a little bit about all the other stuff: the tourism, the food, the culture, the people, and Chinese people in South Africa. Now it's time to look at the other side: the language. Absolutely. So let me go into a little bit of a history lesson here. You know, I can't help myself. Twenty-one years ago, the then president of South Africa, Nelson Mandela, made a decision for the country to establish diplomatic relations with the People's Republic of China. The relations between South Africa and China have been developing at a steady pace from the onset of formal diplomatic ties to the multifaceted partnership that we see today. So there are differences between the two countries that continue to shape ties and distinguish it from the relationships that China has with other African countries. And in today's episode, we're going to speak to a few South Africans who are going to tell us more about the relations between the countries, experienced in the way that they exist one country for the other. The first guest we're speaking to will be Grant Horsfield, who is a South African who has made a huge success for himself in China through the Naked Group, a premium lifestyle brand in Asia. And our second guest is Luanda Stole. Who is the chief partnership officer at the African World Heritage Fund, where she will fill us in on the work that they're doing between South Africa and China? So, Pumi, shall we start with Grant and find out what he has to say?、Yes, Grant is on the line.、Absolutely. Hey, Grant, where are you at the moment? Hi, guys. I'm 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 in、uh, Hong Kong actually.、Um, thanks both Pumi and Gareth for having me on on the show. Very good. Well, it's a pleasure to speak to you. So, Grant,、um, you started a journey, and and by the way, you are not naked right now while you're talking to us. You you are the chairman of the Naked Group. Let's just be clear about that. You started、yes. this naked journey all the way back in 2007. So, tell us about that story. Tell us the story of of Naked. Sure.、Um, I actually came to China very much with a purpose to try and sell to China. Unlike most people who come here looking to buy from China, I, I saw there was a huge market, and、uh, it was actually a, a lecturer who who taught me at、uh, the Graduate School of Business, Cape UCT,、uh, doing an MBA, and he told me a, a funny story about chicken feet, which really got me interested. And、uh, and I, I just thought, well, you know, there's so many people here, so much opportunity.、Um, I should come to China and see if I can find something. For 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 myself to do. Chicken feet is what made you go to China. Chicken feet, you wouldn't believe it, eh? Can you? <laughs> My goodness! But it's a. I'll tell you the story because it's actually quite fun.、Um, this Belgium guy comes to China、mm-hmm. uh, with his mate, who's coming for a conference, and he comes along. And、uh, and it, when you come for these sort of big expo conferences, you sit around these round tables, big banquets, loads of food, and and chicken feet's quite regular、um, uh, choice on the menu. And、uh, and this guy was like, "Wow, these guys really like chicken feet." And he he happened to be a neighbor of a chicken farmer in Belgium, so he goes back home and he asks his friend, "You know, what do you do with the feet?" He says, "Well, we have to burn them. It's part of the law in the EU, so it costs us a lot of money." And he says, "Well, don't don't burn them. Just give them to me." And he and he sent them over to China and made、uh, lots of hundreds of millions in a very very short space of time. I thought, well, there must be something from Africa that the Chinese want to eat. So that's why I came to China. You are definitely an entrepreneur. And then you got to China and found. 
Yeah, I came. Yeah, I, I guess the thing is, I, I couldn't find anything that they wanted to eat from Africa. But I did find that they didn't have the lifestyle that Africans have, and we're blessed in South Africa, especially with uh, such a an incredible lifestyle. Um, uh, perhaps we're at times a little bit um, focused too much on our lifestyle, and and the Chinese are focused too much on their work. Um, but I, I kind of realized that there was a, a big opportunity to give some of what we do in Africa and we take for granted in Africa and bring it to China. And, and that's when I started building um, sort of eco uh, luxury eco resorts uh, outside of Shanghai. And fortunately for me, the timing was really good and, and uh, the people really liked our sort of African sort of style and, and, and horse riding and mountain biking and doing things in the mountains. And uh, it worked really well. That's incredible. Um, tell tell me quickly what in you know in all of this, what are the challenges that you faced when you established yourself in China? I mean, the language must have been in the beginning something of an obstacle. Did you manage to get over that very quickly? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know, language is is a, is a small obstacle in everything, and but there's ways to get around it. I mean, but if you ask me, what are the challenges? Language wouldn't even come in the top 100. I mean, there's lots and lots of challenges that you face, and it looks daunting from the outside. But once you learn to perhaps understand and, 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 and learn to learn from China, mm-hmm. um, things change quite quickly, um, as opposed to coming in and trying to teach or try and you know, put your own thoughts on how to do things. And I, I guess I'm lucky I come from South Africa and perhaps not from America or Europe, and they really think they are, you know, first world country and coming to a third world country. I came here really with the open mind and wanting to listen and learn. And uh, and I made a lot of friends in the process, and those friends uh, helped me get through the difficult times that they're always going to be, no matter which way you open a business. Um, and that, you know, I think that's the, the biggest difference. And Grant, when you say there are hundreds of challenges, which is your yeah. <laughs> top one that blindsided you that you could never have anticipated coming from South Africa and coming into that market? So policy changes happen very, very fast. Um, China, you know, changes things quickly. And uh, it's almost like the entrepreneurial way, you know, you do things quick, fix it quick, break it, fix it, you know, you break it quick and fix it quick. Mm. And, you know, along the way, we were buying land and building very, you know, heavy, intensive asset sort of projects. Uh, and uh, in, during 2009, the financial mm. crisis, uh, the banks decided that they were uh, going to reduce liquidity. So, you know, we had loans in the bank which were um, which were in my bank account, and then the next day they weren't. Um, and oh, that wow. can't happen, perhaps in other parts of the world, but in China it can happen. And and so that you have to be on your feet and sort of figure out how to solve uh, those kind of very quick changes that are radical. So you took a big risk, and I think risk is something that a lot of entrepreneurs. So today we're talking a lot about opportunities and what we can do in China. Mm. Um, you took a big risk. Has that risk paid yes. off? Yes, I mean I could never. I don't think. I, I don't think I could have ever uh, dreamed of having the, the the successes I've had in China anywhere else. I think that it's about timing. I think actually the next ten years of China are probably the best years. So. 
you know, I think that maybe people say, oh, I missed the boat. I should have gone when Grant went, you know, and so be it. But I, I really don't think that's the case. I think the future looks even brighter than the past. Um, but in China, you have an idea. The government's very supportive to entrepreneurs and business. The people are supportive to new ideas and, 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 and you want to see your products and, and try and help you. And, you know, the financial system's there to support you. There's so many, you know, support mechanisms for young entrepreneurs. Uh, I think it's just that it looks daunting from the outside. You come here and you go, wow, oh, you know, how, how do I even begin? Mm. There's no book, you know, there's no dummies for doing business in China book, but, um, it, it it isn't as daunting as perhaps it looks like from the outside, and you just got to jump in, just like any other country, and and get on, do with it, uh, deal with it. Well, that's some pretty good advice for anyone who does want to get into business. There, the, the climate you say is quite favourable to entrepreneurship because, again, of the the fail fast and forward thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I, there's no place in the world that is is like China for for being an entrepreneur. Um, I think the platforms especially the internet platforms and and that are available allow you to go to the market easily you know to market your product easily if you have an idea um it allows you to spread the word very quickly I, language is is always a a challenge and you need to learn and be a part of the sort of social media network here uh, in order to be successful but that that's not insurmountable everything is translatable and and with this click of a button today so um yeah, I think China, it still is a place for Chinese to do be successful. Um, but I think there's a lot of examples of foreigners that have come over here um, and and made a, a go of it and, and done rather well. And I, I think there's I think China probably wants uh, or they do. It's a policy. They want more foreigners to come here and bring some diversity to their market. Grant, do you think you know South Africa is just as challenging as? probably the most challenging place as a entrepreneur. Do you think that growing up here in this environment gave you an advantage when you got to China? Absolutely. Uh, I can't, I've said that on, on a number of different platforms and spoken about it in uh, different platforms where it, it is, it's almost like our natural sort of collectiveness of South Africans where we're, we're, we understand that the people are different um, and people come from different places and we, I guess I was born in a generation where it is a case that, you know, y- you need to have that at the forefront of your mind. When you come to China, um, you're, you're, you're an outsider, you're a minority and so you, you, you have sort of an open mind towards how to do things and maybe a learning, like a mind really to learn and absorb and, and, and not try and, you know, push your own point of views forward. I think that and, and, and in South Africa, I had a business in South Africa for, for many years before I came here and it was challenging and, and really, really hard. And, um, but, you know, entrepreneurs, it's, it's the same everywhere in the world. But I think China at the moment, just because it's growing so fast and there's so much um, consumer demand that you've got probably a better chance of succeeding here than anywhere. Amazing. All right. Well, Grant, thank you for filling us in. We've uh, got another guest here that I want to talk to very urgently, but thank you. And and good luck to your ventures there in China. It shows you that it can be done. And for people who are looking for expansion into new markets, this is an incredible market, which is full of potential. 
and full of, of customers. And uh, if you can go in there with a good idea, as Grant has, it might just be the idea that you've been waiting for and, and the idea that China's been waiting for, frankly. I want to introduce you to Luyanda, who is with the – she's the chief partnership officer at the African World Heritage Fund. Luyanda, welcome, first of all. Nice to have you here. Thank you, Gareth, and thank you, Pumi, for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. Um, we've – been talking about all kinds of stuff that relates to China from the tourist point of view or from the mm. curiosity point of view. But this is really, I think, the most useful episode in some ways for people who are thinking business. You know, a lot of people who want their kids to learn Mandarin, a lot of people who want their kids to mm. be global citizens, they're doing that with the, the, I suppose, the idea in their minds that there will be business ahead. Mm. And a lot of that business will be done with China. So tell me about how the African World Heritage Fund works and how you got involved? Well, I've been with the fund for four years. It's actually, it's, it's, I'm in the heritage sector. That's okay. what the fund is, uh, is, and we actually report locally to the Department of Arts and Culture. Right. But um, we are under the umbrella of UNESCO and the African Union. So right. we are a global organization, but handling the continent. So we support the management of um, world heritage sites in Africa. And um, that means ensuring that they're preserved and conserved to the best of our ability. But N- name a few of them for us so we can just get them in our heads. Well, actually, South Africa is leading what? in the continent uh, with 10 sites. Hmm. But are also, in comparison to the world, that's literally nothing. Yeah. So these 10 World Heritage Sites are um, Yomapungubwe, there's right. um, uh, Robin Island, there is... Um, um, uh, Cradle of Humankind, uh, Freda for Dome in the Free State, uh, the recent um, inscription of uh, Makondra in, in Barberton, in Pumalanga. There is um, Isimangaliso in the in, in the Kezaden area, um, Drakensberg, Maluti, which is what you call a transboundary site, mm-hmm. shared between South Africa and Lesotho. We also have what is uh, another transboundary, which is what is shared between Zimbabwe and Zambia. It's also called a transboundary, which is Victoria Falls. Okay, obviously that doesn't fall within South Africa, but in total in South Africa, there's 10 World Heritage Sites, sure. and we're still trying to get it to be more. So our role, our main mandate, is really getting as many sites listed on the World Heritage List in Africa, not just in South Africa. And um, following us would then be Ethiopia and Morocco with nine sites. But if you compare to the world with 1,121 sites and Africa only has 137 sites, it's really, it's alarming because we have, we're rich in natural resources, mineral and natural resources. But why is Africa not competing as effectively? And if we go back to China, um, who has 55 World Heritage Sites in comparison to South Africa with 10 sites, we have a lot to learn from China. That's amazing. We have a lot right. to learn from China. Yeah. So, so okay, how, is, how exactly are China and South Africa involved with each other then? Is there, is there funding? Are there agreements about sharing information and knowledge? Are there, are there potentially things about conservation that we're learning from each other? It's expertise. Okay. Expertise. Um, if you, if you look at China with 55 sites and, Af- and South Africa with 10 sites, it means that they have learned over the years of how to implement well, to implement better. But then uh, China also has, um, uh, the, the advantage of having resources, mm. which South Africa might not have. But, um, 
in order to prepare or to get a World Heritage Site to a level of uh, being recognized as a World Heritage Site, it takes a lot. One one um, nomination can take up to four years. Wow. So you prepare a dossier for four years for it to, and also the criteria is that the main criteria is that it must have outstanding universal features, what we call OUV. So unless it has that, you can, um, um, you can, um, um, say anything about that particular site, but you must prove to us that it has these features. It stands out in a specific way. So it takes a lot of work. So then that's where we have like your tentative listing programs, your risk management, uh, uh, preparedness, uh, workshops within China is able to assist Africa with hmm. not just South Africa, Africa with right. those expertise. Hmm. Because I'll take you back to, I was in Baku for the World Heritage Committee meeting. Actually, the next one is in China next year. And okay. everybody's looking forward to that. So we had this, this year's one in Baku last year. It was in Bahrain in Manama. Mm-hmm. And the year before it was in Krakow in Poland. So this year, Africa only had one site inscribed. Africa is a continent. And Africa is huge. Yeah, We're that's, a huge that's country. kind of embarrassing. It is. It's extremely embarrassing. Yeah. It, it's extremely embarrassing. So I'm wondering, you know, they have... 50 sites, 55 55 sites. Yes. The importance of, of being able to leverage those heritage sites for, I mean, why is it so important for our country and Africa as a whole to have those expertise that the Chinese have? Well, because it means that you'll be able to implement well, but it means that you'll also focus. What we've uh, gotten to find in Africa is that we'll touch on the site, but not finish the job. And what China beats us at is the focus. If they touch on one side and say we've nom- we're nominating the side, they see it to completion. So you'll right. find that with Africa's dossiers, they all half done. Yeah, half done. You know, and also uh, the resources are then also not allocated to those world heritage sites potential because they're not seen as important. Africa puts importance in you. You'll find it in sports, sporting activities, or you'll find it in, but heritage is still not that exploited or seen as, um, an area or of, uh, that could contribute to, towards economic growth. So Yet we've got communities that are living on these world heritage sites. Yeah. So, so practically, does this mean we're sending people to China to learn how to do these things? And to, to gather the expertise themselves and then come back and implement? Both ways. We're sending them to China, but we're also sending the Chinese to Africa. Hence the UNESCO Africa China Forum, which was in Paris, so that all three parties could then come together. Um, Paris, for example, has 44 World Heritage Sites. Paris? Yes. 44 World Heritage Sites. And Italy has 55 closely with China. Well, uh, equally. Mm-hmm. So that wa- that meant that China can also learn from yeah. Paris because if you think of, of Paris, you think of the Eiffel Tower. Nobody goes to Paris and, you know, doesn't want to take a picture there and doesn't want to, you know. Mm-hmm. So with the rapid, because over the years with, we've got cultural and natural heritage sites as well as mixed where you have not a nature and culture both. So over the years, uh, in China, the rapid urbanization has meant that it's also threatening their world heritage sites. So you see, they also have a thing or two to learn. Both from Africa and Europe So hence that uh, that forum that we had So 
Paris is able to manage, and Italy, the Europe side, is able to manage the, 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 um, the, the, the tourism sector that has grown mm. so much. Yeah. But for China, it's still overwhelming. So this has an economic benefit. It so is. if we get this partnership right, there's an economic benefit, not just for the communities that live in and around the, the heritage sites, but for South Africa as a whole, because there's Absolutely. a big tourism boom that can happen around that. Absolutely. Remember when your site is listed as a World Heritage Site, there's a prestige element to it. So it means that there's more recognition into the country. And for tourists, that means a must stop. So if your business is related to it or involved or allocated a space near it, absolutely, that can, that can make a huge difference. Absolutely. Just uh, in terms of local businesses and entrepreneurs, how can they get involved in, in helping to make these World Heritage Sites a part of what we do? Well, we, we actually go to the communities a lot. Um, we have we do a whole lot of workshops uh, in educating them first because education is as I think is really the first key mm. because there's infrastructural developments happening at these sites now. If you go to Cradle of Humankind, there is a hotel that's been built so that the site is not just seen as you just go visit and go, but you actually spend time. So from an entrepreneurial sp- perspective, you can get involved from the infrastructural part of things mm-hmm. and. Um, Make money, but also still learning, but also being able to know how to preserve because that's the most important. And can I get involved if I'm not an entrepreneur? I'm just a South African that's interested. Can I get involved? You can. You can because we, we also give grants as well. All oh, right. We okay. give grants to people who are entrepreneurs. We, there's con- what we call conservation grants. We also have educational grants for people who are Interested in studying within the field of heritage, it could be archaeology or what have you, but from a master's and PhD level. So all of that is in place from our office, but grants from people who are entrepreneurs trying to get participate, participate in, in, in the sector or in the field. And, um, some people, but it's mostly the education part of it that we find lacking because, um, some people are already doing it, but they don't see it tying into, you know, they think heritage is the culture part and that's, and it's actually broader than that. So once we start educating people to, to advise them and, and let them know is that. There, is there a massive appetite in China for dealings with us? I mean, I, you know, sometimes we, we like to imagine that we've got all these great ideas and we can go there and we can make it happen. But are Chinese people interested in our ideas and are they receptive to them? They, they are, you know, they're going to go, wow, this is a great idea. Let's help each other. Let's try to make this happen. Or are they kind of like, oh, these people from Africa. <laughs> they, Africans. <laughs> these Africans wanting, yeah. wanting, wanting. Yeah. No, they actually are. They actually are. Actually, this forum was initiated by them. Oh, wow. And actually the, the chief, um, the chief, of Africa unit from mm-hmm. UNESCO it can actually speak Mandarin. He studied in China. Fantastic. So it, 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 it actually just became a natural pro- progression. He had built those solid, uh, that solid foundation that, uh, he's from Africa, from the DRC originally, and, uh, he's in this space and China knows the richness that Africa has. So the appetite is huge. And, um, also with them seeing how we neglect Certain things that they feel Oh my word, this is so important We would preserve it with everything that we have You know, so they want to be part of it But also uh, That means them assisting us Well, it's so great that in the heritage space There is 
this massive energy to keep things mm. you know intact to keep them preserved to 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 conserve them for future generations to look after what we've got as world heritage and if if we can get help from anywhere and frankly uh, if the Chinese are the best people for looking after that, we should welcome that with with open arms. Absolutely. And as South Africans, we could be, we could learn an enormous amount, and we could probably teach an enormous amount. Absolutely. And from from your personal experience working with your counterparts from China, what has been your biggest learning? Um, it, it's just really the nature of the way that they do things, and also knowing that. They also have things to learn. Yes, they've got the upper hand of the finance, the funding part of it, the financial part of it, but they've also um, come to an understanding that they can learn a thing or two from Africa. Like what? For example, um, with the we we still restore our thing, our our our, our heritage in its natural form. China is going into a, a, an element of. Um, Making things artificial, like, you know, like almost improving them, improving them back. too yeah. much. Like, for example, the Greeks have, have tied together pieces of the Parthenon with uh, little bits of metal so that it doesn't fall apart. Exactly, kind of exactly. Where, you know, whereas we have sites like Mapungubwe, which which are to, raw, yes. which are in a, in their natural form, and we right. want to keep them and restore them and, yeah. and preserve them in that way. So. That's what China wants to do as well And they can only learn the best from Africa Okay, all right. well I'm glad that it's a two-way partnership It is Mm. You know what it it also is I think for a lot of people We kind of see China's um, partnership with South Africa As a little bit of a They're just here to take and take and take Mm. So I'm fascinated at the fact that there is actually sharing there's, yeah. there's a, a, a back and forth Even when you talk to Grant The thing I mm. take away from Grant More than anything Is that he arrived with an open mind mm-hmm. He came there going yes. I, want to, I want to give as much as I want to get And he walked into the environment With the view of a partnership He didn't walk in there Kind of thinking Oh this place is so big mm-hmm. It's so daunting Everything is so different He walked in there going Yes it's different And because I'm different There's an opportunity for me to succeed here And what I'm hearing from you mm-hmm. as well Luanda, Is that there is, there's a partnership here We come with different things to the yes. table mm-hmm. It's like a marriage each of those things are just as valid. So no one is more valid than the other or more important than the other. We have different things to learn from each other. And because of that, we can create partnerships and we can work with each other and we can learn from each other and we can all benefit. Absolutely. Well, um, Luyanda, thank you very much. Luyanda is uh, the Chief Partnership Officer at the African World Heritage Fund. And she's helped fill us in on the work that they're doing in South Africa and with China. And a big thank you to Grant Horsfield, too, a South African who's made a massive success of himself in China through the Naked Group, which is a premium lifestyle brand in Asia. You might want to look that up. And again, a big thank you to you for joining us in every episode of this terrific series we've done. It's groundbreaking in so many ways. I think it's something that can do a lot to forge uh, really powerful and sincere partnerships between South Africa and China. It'll hopefully inform those of us who haven't had the most intense knowledge or certainly the most available information 
on China. It's, it's woken me up to many things that I didn't know before. And if it's done that for you in some small way, then we've contributed to those relations improving. May we continue to have excellent relations and powerful, productive relations with China. Um, and a big thank you to everyone behind the scenes who's made this happen, including Pinky, who's been our producer on all of this. And, uh, and the team, it's really been a tremendously uh, interesting journey for us to take, and I'm delighted that you could have been part of it. If you want to know more, you can find out everything you need to know on cliffcentral.com, and Pumi and I will no doubt be bringing up China, even though it's not part of this series in future episodes of The Gareth Cliff Show. <laughs> China. Very and good. And we'll definitely be going back to eat some hot pot. There we go. So, how's it China? For the last time, the final episode. This is How's It China with Cliff Central and China Plus. Download the podcast on the Cliff Central website, app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.